0: the truck i'm Duner here with the dude and we're holding a the logistics podcast championship given to us by trophy smack and we will wear this with pride we are the champion
1: that's exactly right we are the
2: champion <laughs> are the my brother champion.
1: i know how you're doing today man i saw the unboxing that was Ooh, tremendous man was you're pretty darn time. excited and this thing
0: is legit people this thing you could, you could you could you could you could knock someone out with that thing you could take someone out with it oh, i'm yeah. Duner here you're with the dude day. hope everyone had a great easter i imagine you had a. An epic Easter egg hunt at your place. You like to get down and dirty with the kids.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. We had a great one. We had a great Easter egg hunt. I got a couple pictures of the of the Easter bunny making it out of my uh, neighborhood, out of my uh, yard. And uh, but hey, and now we got the Masters coming up. Man, are you a Masters geek? Are you you like Masters week? No,
0: the only Masters I know is the Masters of the Universe, He Man, Skeletor, that gang. I'm not really a golf person. Maybe more like mini golf. <laughs> I, I think I have too much. Like I have ADD. I can't yeah. spend like four hours on a golf course. I can't spend four hours doing anything. Other than, like, editing. Then I fall in like, hyper-focus. Yeah, you get into that that zone. Yeah. yeah. Big basketball game tonight, though. Oh, yeah. Baylor, got to support them. Craig Fuller, founder, CEO, Baylor alumni. Yeah. Big moves. Yep. Yeah. Bears
1: can use a, a good pick-me-up in their sports department. Yeah. They've had it rough a little bit of time. And they're good.
0: Mm. It's going to be a great game, though. Yeah. Zags and, and Bears. Should be good. Yeah. Is RG3 three playing? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, on today's <laughs> episode, we are going to be talking about the generation gap in freight air cargo charters, and getting an all-risk policy in Mexico, plus many, many other things. But first, let's tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Redwood, a leading logistics platform company. They've provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and innovative platform services such as L-P-A-A-S, Lapass, and Redwood Connect that fill the gaps between logistics and technology. Contact Redwood at redwoodlogistics.com. Let's hit the headlines. What's going on in the world today? Oh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Trevor Milton rakes in $49 million in sales of his $3.5 million Nicholas shares. His diamond hands must have just been renders, too. He said he was gonna be holding on to this for the long time, but things changed after that Hindenburg report came out, right? So yeah. different story. Well, Alan Adler has it. He says former Nicola Corp executive chairman and founder Trevor Milton pocketed that forty-nine million dollars for selling three point five. Million shares in the startup electric company last week. Milton is subject to a federal investigation over fraud claims alleged by that short seller that drove the company's stock price to crater last fall. It is trading in the teens from a high of more than $90 a share. Following its public debut in June 2020, with about uh, 20.1% of shares outstanding, Milton remains the company's largest shareholder based on Thursday's closing price of $13.91. Since his stake is worth just under $1.1 billion. Yeah, $1.1 billion.
1: So Milton, <laughs> if you remember, Milton was listed as one of the 12 youngest billionaires on the Forbes 400 list last, just last September, my friend. And at that time, his personal worth was three point three billion, down to one point one billion. Milton's sale and the intention by South Korean solar panel maker. to sell half of its 22.1 million shares come as Nikola is planning to sell new shares. The new offerings in the next 12 to 18 months would presumably dilute the company's 391.5 million current
0: shares. You got to wonder why, too. I mean, the price has been cratering. We said that 90. Now, that was overinflated at the time, but down to 1391. You add more shares to the pool. Uh People looking for deliverables. I don't know. Well, Nikola's trying to move past Milton's flamboyant leadership. The company acknowledged Milton had made inaccurate statements about their technological prowess and achievements. Milton resigned last September after a report by Hindenburg Research claimed Nikola was an ocean of lies and, of course, that famous truck rolling down the hill. In motion. What will... CVSA inspectors be checking during their annual safety blitz. If you remember last year, you got a bit of a reprieve from it because of COVID-19. That's right. Well, they're back at it. Clarissa Haas reports that truck drivers and fleets have a month left to prepare for commercial vehicle safety alliances, annual 72 hour safety blitz. It's set for May 4th to six this year going right through cinco de mayo cvsa said inspectors through north america will focus on two main inspection categories during the safety blitz vehicle maintenance uh, fitness concentrating on lightning and an exemption uh, an examination of driver operating requirements with an emphasis on hours of service
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say tequila and guacamole because it's going over cinco de mayo. Yeah, well, it's hard to get chips
0: these days. (laughs) Microchips.
1: (laughs) Micro. That's exactly right. The new, the new salsa truck, according to Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration (FMCSA), the top vehicle violation in the U.S. in 2020 was for having an inoperable vehicle lamp lights being out yeah which accounted for over 12 percent of all vehicle violations and more than four percent of all out-of-service vehicle violations the top driver out-of-service violation category in north america was hours of service accounting for 34.7 percent of all drivers out-of-service conditions during last year's road check Uh, While the focus of the inspections will be on uh, lighting and HOS, inspectors will still mostly can be conducted full 37 point level one inspections during the three day blitz.
0: Yeah, but if you're hauling COVID-19 vaccinations, you don't have to worry about it. You'll be able to pass through the line. So got that going for us. Make sure your headlamps are are up to date, right? Make sure everything's up to date. They'll clip you. They're looking for it. I mean, that's the point of the safety blitz. They're looking for these violations. So do a little inspection you have until the 4th of May. Yeah, no, yeah. Excuses. no excuses. No excuses. All right, backdrop for carriers. Picture perfect as produce season begins. We're seeing everything blossom around here. Oh, yeah. In fact, you were just thinking if you could grow avocados in Chattanooga in your I backyard.
1: Wondering. I got bananas growing. Maybe yeah. I could do avocado. I'm going to
0: check it up. What That's about right. some collection you know. some Japanese kudza. take over the neighborhood? Yeah, maybe not. Well, this is looking at last week's DHL Supply Chain Pricing Power Index carrying into this week. 75 for the carriers, it was at an 80 beforehand. For those of you not in the know, the DHL Supply Chain Pricing Power Index takes a number of indices from within our data platform, Sonar, and crunches the market. It looks at things like outbound tender rejects, tender volumes, which means the amount of freight, the amount of contracted freight that carriers don't want, usually because there's too much volume, and things like spot market rates.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the most, you know, the most recent stimulus, uh, steamy check, the stimulus round is providing a massive boost to customers who, by and large, are still stuck at home. Yeah. I got my second. Yeah, I, know. I got my second shot hey, this hey, morning. Hey, hey, man. Hey, hey, hey. little Hello. cowbell, brother. I got my second Going one today. So, yeah, we're working on it. But working from home has been a major success for millions of Americans, and people are spending on at-home upgrades like furniture and online still. Mm. Service-based spending categories like airlines, lodging, and restaurants were all positively impacted by the latest stimulus, as we've talked about and suspected that would be it. But the top five... Biggest growth segments came in goods. With the roaring consumer economy, blossoming industrial recovery, white-hot housing market, as you can attest to as well, dude, and historically depleted inventories, there's very little outside of a severe inflation that could really derail this trucking... It's a bull market like crazy, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing that is derailant is just our ability to buy some stuff, right? Like, I'm looking at furniture right now. So many things that I look at online to just fill my house up with, and that's why Anthony Smith always looks at those housing starts in that market because that means people like me are going to be going out and realizing, oh, I need a new couch for this room or this end table doesn't fit. I'm learning very quickly that it's not going to be that easy to find stock to put in my house of exactly what I want. And I think a lot of people are as well. But we also have produce season also. You're not going to put my dresser in a reefer, but you're going to put the produce in there. Yep. Reefer capacity has been tight anyway. It's been tight all through this big run of high rates. The outbound tender reject is at a staggering 46%. That means one out of every other load yeah. is being rejected just about at 46%. Yeah, and produce is just starting. Yeah. It's down from an all-time high when there were the winter storms. But, I mean, that Texas winter storm was like a month ago. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. this isn't those after effects. It's just yeah. very tight at all angles. Contract rates are quickly being marked up, too, to meet spot rates. Spart rates will remain elevated of current environment of high demand and relative capacity scarcity remains. There's catalysts, though, including new truck orders and ending social distancing measures that will add capacity. But the big question remains when and how much we're going to get people back into driving schools now. I mean... I don't know, like, uh, this, can't, this isn't controversial, right? Like, here in Tennessee, yeah. we, right now, you can go, at, at least in Chattanooga, right. I can only speak for here, but right now, if you want a vaccine, you can go out and get it, and you can book it within a month, oh, yeah. you'll be fully yeah, vaccinated. Absolutely. There's yeah. no real excuse, right? No. It's open, it's available. Yep. All right, so, to remove the mandates in a month, right? Yeah. I would say so. Let's go All back right, to it. Well, I think it is, isn't it here, they're removing it? And I, I mean, it's, I some stores it's, are still enforcing them, some places are still closed, yeah. it's just not enforced by the, yeah. the county and the community, but... Yeah. Let's get back to it, man. It's springtime. We're all I'm feeling with good. You, a couple shots. Go get, go get them, man. You can yeah. go get it. Yeah, sign up and do go it. do it. Go do it. Don't get be it afraid. To, don't, don't be afraid. Yeah, don't be chicken. All right. Although I am like, I hope ten years from now there isn't like, did you get one of those like the class action suits, and I'll get fifty cents for growing a third head. Yeah, right. (laughs) We'll see what happens, man. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen. Well, here's someone who knows how to mitigate risk. It's Mark Vickers. He's the EVP of International Logistics at Reliance Partners. And today he's going to talk to us about how to obtain all-risk cargo insurance in Mexico. Been hearing about a lot of busts at that border, a lot of risk over in Mexico. So, Mark, thanks for joining us on the show.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, Big fan of the show. And I've heard you talk about Cinco de Mayo and produce Mm -hmm. season coming up. Uh, two areas where, where we deal a lot in, um, tequila and guacamole straight up our alley. We're, we're, we're covering that stuff in, in Mexico nonstop.
0: Well, there is a uh, while so, there. I don't know if it's still the case, but guac, I like, I read an article two years ago that said avocados are more valuable than like the marijuana trade program out of Mexico.
2: Yeah. It's, it, it, I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, uh, but I, I have heard of that uh but but avocados alcohol produce all things that that we will cover on uh, on a very regular basis products no that are going to be moving to the United States uh early April um to early May so produce sweet season is coming baby now so tell us
0: before let's just set the table here what is an all risk policy and what are the risks in Mexico that we are protecting ourselves against
2: sure so about 8 years ago um or or for about 8 years Uh, I spent some time in in cross-border freight management. One of the most frustrating things for me and for my shipper clients were, how the heck do you get uh, Mexican cargo insurance? And there was no real cost-effective or efficient manner at obtaining this type of coverage. So we spent uh, several years in creating a program that allows carriers, asset-based trucking companies, and brokers to obtain all risk, shippers' interest. Cross-border cargo insurance, whenever they need it, and what, what that means is that anything that happens in Mexico, you can get covered, and that didn't used to be the case. And you didn't, we didn't have that backing. We've never had that backing from the Mexican government. It's really just extending the same level of coverage that you expect to receive in the United States into Mexico, and a lot of the the big brokers and the the best asset based carriers that have a foothold in Mexico are now now providing that that to their shipper clients and it it's pretty fun
1: that's excellent stuff so why why was it so difficult before and why is it so important to have one now this the, the all risk insurance for mexico
2: sure I'll, g- I'll give you an example so one of my my bigger clients uh, was in the automotive space uh, I was a broker they would come to me and ask for um, coverage in mexico i didn't have an efficient way. To obtain it, so I would call my Mexican carrier, who would then call a Mexican insurance agent, and by the time I got it, uh, it wasn't the type of coverage that I needed. The deductible was sky high, and it, it didn't actually al- allow me to cover the, the types of high value expedited, um, and, and it excluded a lot of the commodities, so it just wasn't a good policy, and it was extremely expensive. And we've we've really cut the middleman out of that entire process. And you can now click a button and get that level of coverage. What
0: are the biggest risks in Mexico? I mean, you're dealing with heat there. You might be dealing with, with a lot of bouncing on roads and things. You can be dealing with theft, those kind of things. So what are the what are the big core
2: problems? Sure. So a lot of the, the claims happen right in Laredo, Texas. 16,000 shipments are moved across the border every single day. Uh, Laredo keeps going back and forth as the number one port. And Laredo is an inland port. But it keeps going back and forth as the busiest port in the United States, with China and Mexico going back and forth as the number one trade partner with the United States. So a lot of those claims are occurring right in Laredo. Some of those are hijacking. Some of them are shifts and loads. Some some of them happen right on the bridge. And why it's important to get all risk cross-border cargo insurance is that we've eliminated the discrepancies that occur on, hey, was this in the United States? Wasn't in Laredo, and that products transloaded. Ninety percent of these shipments are transloaded. They're cross docked at the border. So we want to take that uh, that that discrepancy out of the equation and indemnify the shipper for the the full value of their cargo, no matter where it's at. So when they they're moving freight into Mexico, they can feel comfortable about it.
1: So, Mark, if a, if a shipper wants uh, a different value that they want to mitigate, say a shipper only wants, uh, say, a hundred thousand dollars coverage instead of the full value, how do they go about doing something like that? Is that available to them?
2: Yeah. So, good good question. And when we started this program, um, we would only cover the full value of the cargo. Um, but shippers have have changed um, what they need, and a lot of the shippers out there. So, if you think electronics, if you think of automotive, if you produce, uh anything moving across the border uh that's gonna want cargo insurance, it's gonna be valued usually over a hundred thousand. Um, but these shippers are asking their carriers, their trucking companies and their brokers to say, hey, we don't need the whole thing covered. We'll self-insure some of it. But we want to see a hundred thousand dollars of this, we want to see cargo insurance for that in Mexico. And and a lot of a lot of the brokers, a lot of the carriers, they just simply Pass on the opportunity, but the good ones—they uh, find solutions for their clients, and offering them borderless coverage is some out of the box thinking that gives these these brokers and gives these carriers a leg up on the competition. They're winning that cross border freight by providing a um, hundred thousand dollars in cargo insurance. So that's partial load coverage. It's not full load coverage. And because it's just partial, then us as an underwriter, us as an insurance company, are saying, "Wow, we're working with a carrier. We're working with a broker that knows what they're doing. They've got good safety protocol in in place. They 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 understand cross border. They're willing to take on some of that risk themselves. That shippers willing to take on some of that risk themselves. So we like that. Uh, We're working with good carriers. We're great trucking companies, and and um, we'll we'll provide them." partial load coverage instead of full coverage. And and that can be obtained for for a fraction of the load value. And some of these carriers are now winning some crazy big contracts by going out of the box and putting it out there that, hey, we're so confident in our risk management for for Mexico, we're going to provide you cargo insurance where that didn't used to be the case. So
0: how flexible is this? Do you need to buy an annual policy? Can you do a one-off? How does that work?
2: So that, that's another good question. And uh, our, our director of business intelligence at Reliance Partners actually just coined a term. Uh, it's called UBI or usage-based insurance. And I wish I could get insurance every time I, I drove my car out of my, uh, my garage. Actually, I don't know if I would want that. I'm not the best driver. Uh, but if, if you're a good trucking company um, and, and you want to obtain uh, Mexican cargo insurance on a per load basis or on a project basis or on an annual basis, you, you can do that now. Um, you can purchase excess cargo insurance for high value shipments in the United States. You can get it on cross border and you can do that through borderless coverage powered by Reliance Partners. So it it's finally an insurance program. That gives a broker or a carrier the flexibility to obtain cross-border Mexico or or U.S. or Canada high-value insurance or um, just up to $100,000. You can get that level of coverage on a per-load basis rather than purchasing a, a bulky annual policy that has a huge deductible tied to it.
0: Yeah, well, when something like the Suez Canal happens, I imagine everyone's kind of checking into their cargo insurance yeah. policies and wondering, that, right, <laughs> what kind of coverage. This is our stupid question of the day. You have to have the coverage in place before something bad happens, right?
2: Um, that that is the case. We would tell all of our clients to. I'm, I mean, you don't need to give us uh, a month notice. Uh, this is something that you could obtain while you're at the airport trying to visit a customer. So you can you can obtain it. Uh, 24-7 uh, by clicking on a button in our automated portal or in your own TMS. Literally click a button 10 seconds before the load picks up and and get that level of coverage.
0: Wow. Well, how do people how do people go about doing that? Where should we send them to if they want, especially if especially are in cross-border business, they want this borderless coverage?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd encourage everyone to go into the Reliance Partners website, click on borderless coverage, and get an automated quote right now.
0: Beautiful. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for your time today. We see you at F three. Say that again. Will we see you at F three November eighth to uh, to tenth? The biggest event in freight
2: down here in Chattanooga. Oh yeah, we can't wait. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. All right, great. We'll we'll see you there. All right. Hey. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy Cinco de Mayo. Stay safe.
0: We'll do. Thanks, Mark. Will do. If we can
1: find any of those chips. <laughs> I had him. Well, I had him insure my guacamole that I'm having. Oh, running. did you? Yeah. Did you? You can't do it after the fact. No, and borderless makes a lot of sense because then you don't have to argue which side of the border it happened on, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I remember selling freight, and I remember doing ocean policies, and it was like 10 cents per hundred Yeah, to cover something. Yeah. And people would think you're trying to like upsell them. Yeah. And it's like, no. Do you know what general average means? You yeah, know, general all average the, is— Things go wrong all the yeah. time.
1: And they're, they're really upset that they have that insurance unless they need it.
0: Yeah, I know. It's after cheap. it delivers i didn 't want that insurance, no, I clearly no i didn 't sheep don 't leave port without
1: it well don 't leave port
0: without hey, it hey, we have a return guest it's stephen roy he's president president and owner of Roy trans Global Logistics, and guess what he 's coming back to play it forward today nice. Roy, nice. thanks for oh look he 's good to go too he's
1: ready look wow
0: we're hey, ready roy. we're ready guys' <laughs>
1: <laughs> ready to melt some faces all look right like
0: you 're going to take <laughs> us on a journey here what what's the what's the song called uh, give us a little background first
3: yeah you know when it's it's interesting when uh after the last show, I reached out and said, thanks. And I said, hey, why don't we start a band? I know you guys play some instruments. So uh, you reached back out and said, well, why don't you play on the show? And um, I'm thinking, well, what do I play? You know, do I play something heavy on guitar? Do I play, you know, a nice acoustic ballad? So it's kind of a mix. And it's uh, kind of a journey of, uh, you know, the past year that we've all been in um, through COVID and, and where we are today. All right. Let's hear it. Okay, let's do it.
4: Killing time Wild year It's been a lot to take Looking for a few Memories to make I think the world took a look in gas. Now I'm killing time. We all need to take a look around. Love your brothers and sisters aloud. Make your mothers and fathers proud. Now we're feeling fine. Till we can break out of our cage. Hope someday soon we we'll get back down ways once again. Once again. Cry weeks and months we put in time now it's time to fly. It's been a long long time, but I think we're doing just fine Hour, now and day to day. I'm just killing time, I'm just killing.
0: Yeah. Hey, nice. let's give a little, uh, a little inside the, little inside, inside the cowboy roll. roll. Beautiful, man. That was awesome. Love it. What do
3: you think? Hey, what do you think of our belt? By the way, here. You know what? I saw that uh, on the weekend on uh, on your site. I think that's great. Yeah. I was a Big WWF fan back in the day. I was pretty excited to see that. Ooh. Who was yeah. your guy? You know, I was a I was a Hogan guy, but then uh, the British Bulldogs were fun and yeah. uh, oh, yeah, Randy yeah. Machman Savage. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah feel that and, brother. Uh, ultimate, ultimate warrior.
0: Hey, so we, we love the playing, but you also, you have a secondary. So let's talk a little shop here real quick. And one of the things I wanted to key in was this air cargo charter market. I know that your team has been working hard on that. How prevalent has air cargo charters become as capacity has constricted?
3: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, we were seeing, I think just before Christmas, uh, there was a, there's a major spike in, in air, um, air charter activity and, uh, it kind of quieted a little bit, and then uh, we had the, the, the big freeze and, and all the, the snow issues across the country. And that, uh, then it spiked again, Then it softened up just a bit. And I think once these, uh, these chips really start coming in into port, you're going to see um, a, lot, uh, a lot more um, activity of uh, exclusive use, air, air charter activity coming.
1: Yeah, imagine it's getting it's getting crazy right now. Are we seeing like you know, we were talking about before how the Peloton was starting to ship things, air cargo, and you had even hot tubs. Lori Anne was like, hot tubs on planes, it's insane. Are we seeing that type of stuff? Stuff that is traditionally on the ships being moved over uh right now, and is that is that something prevalent?
3: And I'll be honest, um, you know, we're we're ninety-five percent expedite at our place and our okay. air our air products very new. So um you, you guys may have more information on, on what's actually moving across the country. So we, we do a lot of automotive-related uh, piece things, and uh, yeah. we're getting requests uh, constantly, which, which is strange to move things from um, Europe over to um, the U.S. just based on, on slow timelines with the, uh, the ship lines.
0: Gotcha. Well, what do you learn? You mentioned this is a relatively new category for you and your team. What have you been learning so far while being in this market?
3: Yeah, well, it's a new category for our Landstar agency. Um, The the team we have are are veterans. Um, So we have a a sales rep that's been in the business for about uh, 25 years and another gentleman who's handling operations uh, that's been in for 20 years. So um, they've seen a lot, they hear a lot, and um, it's uh, it's just a – we're 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 selling and uh, we're operating for our current customers, and uh, you know we're we're working through the sales one-on-one process right now. So it's a, again, it's about a three-month-old product um, for us. So um, it's pretty exciting to see what's going to come down the pipeline. But so we're getting some weird, wild requests and and moving some large and small um, exclusive use aircraft.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely something to get into. It's a large demand for it right now, and it's it's growing. and And I would imagine that even as passenger travel comes back, and you start getting some of that belly cargo mm-hmm. uh, space coming back. There's still going to be quite a bit of demand for it, as you know. We we just talked about some of the drivers of the economy that are happening right now. Not only are ships backed up, but you've got stimulus checks that are tremendous. The infrastructure bill that is coming through that is, if it passes through, will be a huge stimulus to the uh, U.S. economy and the North American economy as well. Uh, And you even have, you know, traditional uh, maritime shipping lines getting into air cargo. So it seems like a smart move right now.
3: And we have uh, we've been moving some hand carries as well. You know, we hire um, somebody meet meet freight at the airport and check it in as as uh, as luggage and then get it to uh, the next destination and then uh, meet a courier or an Expedite truck on the other end and deliver it too. So that's that's an alternative of the Charter and kind of like the Air Freight, but a little more control. So it's it's uh quite well, fascinating. Hey, hey, Steve,
0: before we let you go, give us a little tour of those guitars behind you.
3: Ooh, yeah. I me see and, a Les Paul not out. I, don't, I don't have a lot, but we have, uh, we have the Les Paul um, yeah. Classic back there. Nice. And uh, the Dan Electro always uh, caught my eye um, back from when uh, Jimmy Page – was doing some things on the dan electro in the early days Mm -hmm. then we have the uh the banjitar so i don't play banjo but i play guitar so it has uh it has six strings and sounds a lot like a banjo but uh, i can play it because i know how to play guitar and it has a pretty cool twangy sound
1: that's cool a banjitar
3: a a band
1: like a sound like a dobro almost probably I want to yeah, Almost yeah, like yeah,
3: yeah, very similar. Yeah,
1: very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I was gonna thinking. I was looking at that that the Dan Electro back there kind of
0: looks like a Rickenbacker, except for the head stock.
1: right? Right. You know? right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I'm a big
3: Ricky fan too. Yeah. 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 Those looks... are very cool. Very wait, well,
0: cool. hey, Stephen, people want to connect with you. They want to. They want to connect with your agency. Where should we send them to?
3: Yeah, we uh, have our roytransglobal.com, and uh, you know, can always reach us uh, toll free eight 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 two zero four one five eight five. The old school way. Beautiful. Hey, thank you so much for your time
0: today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Thanks. Take it easy. Also give a shout-out to our friends at Triumph Pay. Go to oh, Triumphpay.com. Yeah. I want to thank you for sorting for supporting the next segment within this show. Thank you guys over at Triumph Pay. And right now, we're going to bring our guest Gabrielle Boucher, or Gabrielle Boucher, I'm sorry, co-founder of the Purpose Company. On the air, she's uh, you know she has a book that's been endorsed by the Rock. She's also a fellow TEDx speaker. Yeah, yeah. She's trying to crack the code on millennials by doing something unique—being a millennial. Thank you for joining us today.
5: Hey, thanks for having me. Love the name of your guys's show. This is awesome.
0: Thank you. I like what's go- <laughs> what's going on the wall behind you. I like that texture.
5: Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm a kind of amateur artist, so I kind of find different things around the house and end up turning it into art.
0: Wow.
1: Very cool. Very, very, very cool. Hey, we've been trying forever to get The Rock to endorse us. We did get this. Yeah, we did get a belt. (laughs) We did get a belt. We are the the real champions of of, uh,
0: logistics podcasts. Yeah. Well, so give us a little intro and then end on how you got The Rock to uh, endorse your
2: book.
5: Sure. Yeah. It's one of the big questions. A lot of people want to know. I mean, kind of this, uh, I didn't come from money. Didn't come from the celebrity or LA world whatsoever, but, um, but when it comes to getting folks like the rock and we've had Simone Biles and Lewis Howes and the chicken soup for the soul guy, Mark Victor Hansen, endorse our stuff. And everything really comes down to relationships and making sure that when you're getting into the right place that you're giving more than you're getting. And that's something that I love telling young people when they're starting out in an industry is don't go in with this open, hand of what I can get. It's all about what you can give. Uh, But yeah, I'm the co-founder of The Purpose Company. I run it with my husband, Brian Beauches. We've written a number of books. I've written five books. Um, My most recent is The Purpose Factor, which did get endorsed by The Rock. And so we help uh, the next generation really step into their purpose and really get clarity on what's next for them.
1: Really cool. So you're, you're a millennial expert. Let's, let's jump right into yeah. this millennial question here because it's, it's really, really interesting. Do you think we focus too much on these generational groupings uh, or do you think it's really a necessary thing to kind of dissect because of the fundamental differences between the generations?
5: Great question. I think it's a both and because unfortunately, I've been doing this for about 13 years. And so what I found is we continue to complain about the next generation, uh, but we don't seem to be able to fix the next generation. And so there's always that question of who are they and ultimately what's wrong with them. And that's kind of why I got into this space to begin with was being a millennial. So many people would look at me and say, hey, what's wrong with your generation? (laughs) And so rather than trying to defend my generation, I tried to understand understand my generation and ultimately translate my generation for others. And so I've been that millennial translator. We've worked with everyone from Microsoft to the Department of the Interior to the United States Air Force, and really helping them understand who's the next generation, how do you engage with them. But you're right, at the end of the day, we all are all just human. But the better that we're equipped to understand how to communicate, how to understand, how to hire, how to engage further, how to motivate, the more successful we're all going to be overall.
0: Well, you speak about success, so have you ever tried to uh, make coffee at home and stop buying so many avocados, maybe grow your own, and then all you millennials would be, would be rich, or so I hear, on Twitter and LinkedIn from, from, from older generations? Have you tried that?
5: what financial advice for a generation that brunches their way, uh, like it's a national sport. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this generation certainly comes in with plenty of, uh, of ideas of, of how terrible we are. I mean, everything from this next generation's entitled to lazy, to selfish. I mean, fill in the blank. I wrote a whole book about it called five millennial myths about who's the next generation and how to engage with them. But the truth is millennials are almost 40 years old, right? Yeah. now. So I'm so tired of people complaining about millennials being 20 somethings. That's, that's Gen Z. And that's a whole other conversation about who they are. And, uh, and I will tell you the biggest, uh, and this is relevant to, to you and your industry, the biggest differentiator between these two is my generation. Millennials were making decisions about their careers when they were juniors in high school. Gen Z is making decisions in middle school. Wow. So it's yeah. not about high school or college career fairs. It's about middle school career fairs. So if you're wanting to recruit the next generation in the industry, you need to start sooner because it's a generation who's very, very practical, very kind of skeptical of big promises and wants to know, am I going to be in a career that's fulfilling, that I can be in it for the long haul and something that I can really see myself growing in. So start recruiting Gen Z today.
0: Well, my six-year-old's already ahead of the curve. He already has told me numerous times he wants to build big, giant robots when he gets older. So
1: It's very cool. And I've got the same thing at home. I've got an eight-year-old who's – she's coding. She's going to coding camp. Uh, Eight-year-old, eight my eight girl. <laughs> yeah, but pretty to soon code. you'll
0: start in the womb. You'll have to put like career advice yeah. tapes on your on your yeah. um on your belly. But you mentioned it's an aging group, right? Twenty-five to forty, and sometimes the communication can be very antagonistic. Like it always shocks me when I'm on LinkedIn, and you see someone who's in the C-suite and they're la- laying an attack on millennials or any generation for that matter. It's like, yeah. what are you thinking? But it tends to be more maybe socially acceptable in those groups to, to insult an entire generation, a gigantic generation that's between 25 and 40?
5: Yeah, and in my kind of moment of when I realized I was an adult was when I said three things. I said, kids these days. And as soon as I said it, as soon as it escaped from my mouth, I realized that something had happened where there's these generational divisions that naturally we look at the next generation and say, I would never wear that. I would never say that. I would never act that way. And part of it is kind of this healthy thing of as we come of age, we coalesce around people who have shared experiences at, from us, whether it's similar political experiences, similar cultural experiences, liking the same types of food or, or movies. But, but when we start to make those things what we solely focus, focus on, we really miss out on generational diversity, which has kind of become a buzzword, which I'm a little bit over. Here's what you really need to do is rather than be critical of other generations, you need to be curious about them. So if you've got someone on your team who's asking why or has got, you know, this kind of millennial mindset of I'm going to come in and I'm going to be the CEO next week, or, you know, I want to move job positions every six and a half months, rather than saying what's wrong with you, start to understand where those expectations come from. Because the more you clarify expectations in any relationship, if you're married, if you've got kids, if you've got friends, if you don't clarify expectations, you're going to be frustrated and bitter. The same is true with the next generation. Our expectations are being set by social media, the Kardashians fill in the blank. And so we really need to reset those expectations. So that way you, once you hire a millennial, you want to keep them for the long haul. And that long haul could be five years or 15 years, but how are you going to engage with them? So that way they are excited about continuing to work and grow with you
1: yeah it's it really seems to me about i mean and I can skip this next question we have on here but uh it, it was a good one like is is this really corporate astrology where there's actually only two signs but i I think we're getting i think we're getting <laughs> yeah. past that right it's it's pretty obvious that we need to understand how the previous generation grew up right i mean it's just a it's a misconception about my generation. There were three channels of news. That's it. There Mm -hmm. was no there was no social media. So for you you know people running water. We had running water and we did have electricity. We um we just got indoor plumbing, black and white TV, (laughs) that type of stuff. No, I mean we did actually know, I had not that old. Sure. (laughs) To say that we never acted that way and we never dressed that way and stuff like that is is erroneous. There was nothing there to document it. There wasn't social media, et cetera. It was there. What are the as we move forward though? What what are the three things that you really should never tell a millennial? What are what are the three no nos?
5: Yeah, the the big one is wait your turn. Uh, stop saying "wait your turn." Telling this generation that they've got to kind of sit in this limbo purgatory until they're somehow ready. If you're not going to advance them, teach them skills that they need to advance. So that's the big one. You need to kind of stop putting these um, these kind of arbitrary um, time stamps on things. And so this is a generation that wants to advance quickly, wants to be engaged quickly, and even if you don't have an opportunity for them to advance, to start training them for their next job now. I think that's a big one. Uh, I think that we need to stop associating this this younger generation, like interns or kiddos. So stop kind of referring to them as something that's much younger, realizing that millennials are almost 40 years old now. And so if you want us to act like adults, treat us like adults. I think that's a big part of it. And, and I think the third one is really to engage this generation in leadership faster. We're in the largest generational power handoff in history, where we've got boomers who are getting ready to retire in droves. Gen X, that generation in between that everyone's like, we've been here this whole time. uh, Gen X is actually one third the size of the baby boomer population. So if you're a Gen Xer and you're like, hey, I'm not moving on as quickly as my like boomer kind of counterparts were, and you're frustrated, it's kind of that frustrated middle. It's because boomers are hanging on to leadership positions longer, but there aren't enough Gen Xers to fill those leadership positions. And so millennials are moving on quickly and now competing with Xers, which is creating a whole other level of competition and frustration in the workplace. So understanding that there's generational friction here, clarifying it rather than having it just be the things that everyone complains about or sends nasty memes about. Mm. And again, making sure that you're more curious and critical. Nasty
0: memes. Okay, boomer. Uh, so, but,
5: but so here's the thing. So I, I like to claim my generation
0: when it's convenient to me. I'll be Gen X when it's convenient. I'll be a millennial when it's convenient. But usually I like the Gen X side where we're ignored as as usual, right? I'm, f- I'm 41 years old, so—actually, uh, I just turned 42. Shoot. Stop counting. Yeah. But I guess for some reason, I don't count as money, which is good. I don't necessarily want to be one. I like being in this, like, forgotten generation. We were the latchkey kids. I'm in an next. But team. we're the bridge ones. We should be making all this happen. But you bring up a good point. The boomers have held on for so long. And, like, I started at FedEx Trade Networks when I was 25 in this business, right? And when I started in this business, the next closest person my age was 38. There was just a generation gap in for Gen X, like just not hiring people in Gen X in that Boston market. And a lot yeah. of those people wouldn't leave. And that's got to be incredibly frustrating when you go in and you see the person ahead of you has been there for 25 years when you have a generation that wants a bit of mobility in their jobs. Now, I was looking at something interesting because millennials had been, um, you know, that, that example of the avocado and the avocado toast. And for a while, millennials were considered the, or the statistics where you own the least amounts of homes of any generation. But now in 2021, 2020, the biggest amount of home buyers are this generation. So do you think people are going to settle down a little bit more? It's just taking the generation longer.
5: Sure. And that's always kind of been the case with any young generation. On average, it's taken millennials five to seven years longer. So I've worked a lot in the real estate space. I've worked a lot in the economic development space, working with communities, trying to forecast what do millennials look like. And certainly COVID has changed quite a bit of that because before it was, sure, I'll stay in a condo downtown. But now, oh crap, I'm working from home. I need to, you know, I need to create a workspace for me and my partner. And now we decided that we want to have kids. So it's taking a little bit longer. So that's certainly part of it. But again, back to those expectations, even when millennials are moving to the burbs, they're now wanting to have different types of homes where it's access more than ownership. I don't need to own the vacation home or the the jet skis or the tools. I can then just rent it. And so it's kind of this Uber mentality that a lot of millennials have. And so even the communities that we're becoming a part of just look very different because of the values that this next generation is bringing.
1: You know, when I was, uh, Gabrielle, when I was watching your, your Ted talk, um, at least the first half of it, you were pretty, uh, a little bit, uh, almost rough on the millennials. Pretty much, uh, get over your excuses, right? Can you can you talk to that a little bit? What are some of the things that the that the, the generation, and we've all done it, all the generations. When I was coming out of college and, and getting a job, the economy wasn't all that great either. It was transitioning into sure. a Reagan-esque economy and stuff like that. So it wasn't all that good either. 17% interest rates to buy a house. 17%. Uh, yeah, pretty hot. So what, what are some of those things that are, that are out there? There's a a bunch of points that you made about, uh, you know, when you came out in 2009, you were looking for a job, but you found one. It wasn't easy, right?
5: Yeah. It's, it frustrates me to no end when we make excuses for the next generation or allow the next generation to make excuses especially when as millennials, we're adults. And so whether it's blaming parents or the economy or your second grade teacher, I just don't think that it's very helpful. So in the work that I do and working with companies and associations, particularly looking to reach the next generation, it's only helpful to understand the, the history and the origin of it when it comes to getting the context. But as soon as you have the context, you need to move on. And so that's really where I am with my generation and recognizing that we have an incredible amount of uh, passion, ability, purpose as a generation. And yet we shoot ourselves in the foot every single day because we have these unrealistic expectations that we're allowing to inform our decisions. So when we're coming into the workplace saying, hey, well, I haven't advanced in six months. Well, when did we talk about you advancing every six months? Well, it's just what I expect okay, so now we're coming in and we're getting that title of an, um, of entitled generation. And in some cases it's very deserved because we're not, we're not articulating it or we'll say, Hey, you know what? I don't like this job. I'm going to switch industries, which is actually really dangerous. That's what we're seeing with millennials across industries. It's not just, I don't like this job. I'll switch jobs. They're saying, I don't like this job. I'll switch industries, which is actually draining on the industry overall because we're losing so much talent and, and, um, and internal capital, mind capital, moving from industry to industry. So by the time my generation gets into our 50s, we're going to be about an inch deep and a mile wide because we felt like we needed to be um, experts in everything and masters of none. Mm.
0: Well, sure. And, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I worked in that, that corporate culture where it's it's very hard when you're a young person. You come in with a salary that's not that great. And they expect it, you have that annual review. And it's like, yeah, if you score like a 95%, if you do the best you possibly can, you might get a 1.5% raise. Oh, oh, I'm not even keeping up with the cost of inflation, Michael Vincent. Oh, thank you. I can come back here and make less money than I made last year. <laughs> Why doesn't every generation want to do that? <laughs> Why? Right. Oh, gosh, who's cracking the code here? You know what I'm talking about? Of course you know what I'm talking about. But here's yeah. the thing. I was reading, so the the dialogue, though, with millennials, and I think it's because if you put people in a group, it's easier to, to beat them down. But I was looking at, like, top questions to ask millennials, and this one almost seemed antagonistic. It says, have you ever had to wear a uniform, cover up a tattoo, or work at a time that was difficult for you, like early in the morning or late at night? How did you handle that? Is that a good question to ask a millennial?
5: It's Well, number one, anytime that you do kind of a three-part question and one question, you've already <laughs> lost me. So halfway through that question, I was like thinking about my Twitter account, so I'm not quite sure. Uh, but typical
1: millennial. Listen typical to Typical millennial. She's a ty-
5: but saying something that's difficult for you, like early, working early in the morning or late at night. I mean, we work with a lot of hospitals. And so it's so interesting working with nurses coming in that are millennials saying, hey, I don't really like working late at night or on the weekends. Like, I'm sorry that people dying is inconvenient for you. So maybe you should choose a different career. We work with accounting firms that say, yeah, I'd like to have something pretty predictable. It's like, well, you can predict during tax season you're going to be working really late. And so, again, it's back to those expectations of are we clearly articulating it? But if you're saying that waking up early or staying late is difficult, you're now you're now labeling something that's work as something that's hard. Why millennials have a hard time showing up on time and staying late is because they don't have a why or a purpose attached to what it is that they're doing. Millennials are work their brains off; they'll work into to midnight if they know the purpose behind what it is that they're doing and and how it connects to ultimately where they want to be. And that's the 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 big change I think with this generation. Because I can Google, ask Siri, ask Alexa what something is. I can find information, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I have um, wisdom on that information or the interpretation of that information so I can actually apply it. So that's, I think, the big challenge when it comes to this next generation is, okay, how are we creating context uh, mechanisms for this generation to really understand what they're doing and why they're doing it?
1: Very, very interesting. You know, you you said that nobody had to tell millennials about environmentalism or human trafficking, right? But the groundwork for these things really started in the 60s and, and 70s. I mean, there's been Tree huggers, et cetera, sure. <laughs> for, for quite some time with progressive thinkers and the ideas like having a rainforest and ozone layer. Uh, or in the 80s, we were talking about these things. Is it fair to say that sometimes the angst or, or friction between uh, the Xers and the boomers and the millennials comes from the seeming taking ownership of these type of movements that have really been around for 40, 50 years?
5: Yeah. I mean, the justice movements have really been around for, you know, even a lot longer than that. You can go Mm -hmm. as far back to the suffrage movement. I mean, there's always been things. And as a generation that generations have taken on and said, this is our thing. This is our fight. And that's what I think is really beautiful. And not to geek out, but like why I got so interested in generational theories, because it seemed like every generation kind of coalesced around something that they wanted to build together. And that's why my generation is called the justice generation, because we go after some of these kind of core issues and um, and interest areas. But Gen Z is doing the same thing. It's how we're doing it that's different. And so millennials came into the workplace and are really one of the first generations that instead of saying, oh, that's nice that you donate to, you know, the Red Cross at the end of every year company I work for, millennials are saying, no, I don't care about that charity or philanthropy. I care about this one. I want to go and support this one. And I want a company that recognizes what it is that I'm passionate about because I want to partner with that company. So -hmm. we're already seeing it now. Companies that are partnering with their employees on giving back are doing the best with the next generation because millennials recognize where they work, what they buy, what they do is all a reflection on who we are and what our values are. So I joke around a lot of like, if a millennial plants a tree and doesn't tweet about it, did they really plant it? I mean, everything we're doing is how is it projected in, in, in this digital virtual world that we live in? And it's not just vanity for vanity's sake. Millennials came up during a very, very hard time economically where it's very competitive. It's like this arms race of education and experience. And so sometimes we're doing things because we want to get a leg up on the competition. So that's, I think, something really important for employers to consider is how are they partnering with their employees rather than are you just dictating values?
0: Okay. We have a lightning round now. So quick questions, quick answers. These are from Twitter. The first one is, why do millennials always say, just did a thing?
5: Oh my gosh. I could not. It, it, one of my biggest pet peeves with this generation, I did a thing or adulting, or we have these grab bag terms that we want someone to recognize that we did something impressive, but we're acting very childish around it. So why we do it, it's just for attention. Should we do it? please, for God's sake, stop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. How about why do millennials think that being 30 is a personality trait?
5: Yeah. When you turn 30, apparently everything changes. I think a big thing comes from expectations that when we hit 30, we thought we were going to have done something different than what we're doing. So there's a bit of that kind of that kind of reality that hits you that you're 30 and maybe being 30 isn't as old as you think it is. But we had such high expectations from such a young age that we thought we were going to do things by 30 when we haven't. I think that some things really change for us.
0: You know, and, and that, that one's not even a fair one. Like, no. that's just because they're turning 30. But every yeah. single generation has had, made, like, turning 30 make a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's, Absolutely. like, especially amongst a lot of girls. Like, I remember my sister growing up. She'd be like, I'm going to, you know, be married by the time I'm 26 and have kids by, like, this age. And then you turn 30 and your life may not be exactly there, no. right? It's not. No, sure. not always. Things not change. Always. I think it still was for her, though. But yeah. either way. On LinkedIn, you said you're working towards paying for a brand. Before we let you go. On LinkedIn, you said you're working towards paying for a brand new car for your mom by the end of so 2021. So <laughs> a little cowbell for that. Do you know what model you're going to get her or you don't want to surprise her?
5: I don't I she listens to most of the things that I'm on so I don't want to let it leak but it's a a car that she's been wanting for a really long time so that's something that and I appreciate that about a lot of millennials people in my peer group we really want to take care of our parents they did a whole heck of a lot for us and so it's kind of our turn to to give back
2: well
0: well hey thank you very much for your time today and thank you for helping us understand millennials a little bit more people who want to get your book they want to check out your TED talk all that where should we send them to?
5: Sure, yeah, they can go to com or check out the book at PurposeFactorBook.com.
0: Love it. Hey, thank you so much. Have a great week. I know you will. Cool, guys, thanks. Take it easy. Time for a little big deal, little deal. Big deal.
5: <laughs> little deal. <laughs> right, <click.
0: laughs> All right. Oh, by the way, I was kind of ad-libbing my way through that Triumph Pay read. Here it is. This episode is brought to you by Triumph Pay. Triumph Pay is committed to providing efficiency and value to our customers with our definitive agreement uh, to acquire HubTrend. The combined company will create a fully integrated payments network for the transportation industry, including factors, brokers, and carriers. Visit TriumphPay.com to learn how we can drive your business forward together. Okay, big deal, little deal. Mark, we've touched on this a bit throughout the show. March Class 8 orders of 40000 add to dizzying industry. Backlog, backlog, big deal, or little deal?
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, they're, like we were talking beforehand, they're, you know, Parker's making uh, the salsa truck. Oh, yeah. Right. They're they're building a truck and there's no chips. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the orders are coming. The 40,000 are coming and it's and it's above just replacement. Right. It's still additional things. Uh, But 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 it's very, very difficult to 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 catch up with what's going on. And many of these things won't be delivered till next year, which we don't know what next year is going to look like. Twenty twenty two. Right. We know the demand is here. Uh, the backlog is, is difficult. It's going to keep rates high and it's going to keep things like you ordering your, your furniture from getting here, man. It's got to come on a truck once it gets here.
0: Yeah. What about big the Cybertruck? Talk about those chips. Those might not come in time either.
1: They haven't even decided on a final design of the Cybertruck yet, have they? I don't know. I don't know. You're supposed to get it this year. They're I didn't like it, though. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So here's one: Here, Big deal, little deal. Clubhouse, my friend, is the 2021 version of conference calls. Is the fact that it is a big deal or little deal and the fact that they're calling it that the big deal or little deal? Clubhouse, so two questions. I would agree that Clubhouse
0: <laughs> is the 2021 version of conference calls. Now, the real question is, is that a good selling point for a social media network? <laughs> That's exactly what In I In my mean. opinion, it's not, because who wants to be on a conference call? And it really does feel like a conference call. I mean, it's a little bit more like free and loose, a little bit more passive. You can just, I guess, listen to people when you're cooking. I'm not a fan of Clubhouse. I, yeah. am, I tried it. I gave it a shot. I think it's a feature, not a platform, not an app. Discovery on it is terrible. Um, finding rooms is terrible. Their notification issues are a big, big challenge when you put it like, I don't know if you have the app on your phone, but there's no like sweet spot between getting a good amount of notifications. I just had to shut mine off, even though I put them on rarely. I'm still getting like, harassed all the time by rooms. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. it doesn't sound like you're a big
0: fan. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a fan of
4: Clubhouse. Tell
0: us how you really feel. (laughs) I'm not a fan of Clubhouse. Well, I mean, I do agree with the statement, though, that it is the 2021 version of conference calls, which um, I think, you know, Chris Jolly might be on there. I think that's actually a quote from him in the article. Oh, is that right? Yeah. He was like, he said he likes it. It's the 2021 version of conference calls. Hey, Gary Vee was a big fan. Gary Vee was a big fan, but he also said one of the reasons he was a big fan was it's a newer platform, so you can well, yeah, get it. Yeah, you're
1: right. Yeah, I should correct that statement. Yeah. He's like, the newer platforms are better because there's less ad space and you get more organic. Well, uh, here's here's
0: thing. the thing to me. it's it, like You have to make an appointment with it. We just went yeah. through this whole thing of going like to on-demand, getting away from it. We talk about millennials, yeah. getting away from appointment television, appointment listening. And this, it's like a conference call. You have to set a meeting time. They, yeah. If you show up a little bit late, you can't go back and rewind it. People are like, yeah, you can talk to a lot of people. Most of these rooms aren't a ton of people. You can reach way more people people with a podcast. Yeah. So long podcasting, short.
1: That's podcasts. why I never responded to your invite when you asked me to come in. Cause you're like, I yeah, I don't really like it, but you're invited. I that's like, when yeah, people wanted them to not a
0: big selling point that you don't like it. All right. Here's one <laughs> largest met seizure in Miami history brings cartel arrests. Is that a big deal or a little deal?
1: Um, yeah, well, that's a big deal. It's the largest one in Miami. I, I, uh, it's a big deal that there's more and more of these, uh, uh cross border meth coming across from, from Mexico. And we're seeing more of that type of stuff. I think that's a big deal. Uh, you know, this was not a, they discovered this stuff in Miami. They, they set these guys up from the beginning. They ordered the stuff and then busted them once it, once it came. So it yeah. wasn't like it was a, a random type of thing. So I think that lessens it a little bit for me Yeah, uh, <laughs> as far as this major thing. Cause they set it up from the very beginning. Um, but you, you know, I mean, you're, you're getting more and more places like Oregon, et cetera. And in the Northeast where, you know, meth is legal in certain places now, What? Uh, well, cocaine and LSD, et cetera, oh, Oregon. Traditionally, though, kind of like stuff, up, I up, think that's a kind of
0: – Traditionally, up in like the Boston area, meth was never big. Meth was yeah. never big. We had opioid problems. We yeah. had other drug problems, but we right. didn't have a big meth problem. So to me, it just like I don't want to see this coming up the coastline. No, you like, don't want to In Southern California, it was a big deal when I lived out there. Yeah. And I knew people who got well, –
1: What's a it big deal up. in this area right now. I know now, it is, has been, you see It them. has
0: been for many you years. You see and I've them walking
1: around sometimes. some people that I've – Completely destroyed their life that I knew. Yeah, um, that that got into it. So yeah, from that area, it's a big deal that it's becoming more prevalent. So it needs to be needs to be stopped. So uh, big deal, little deal. Yeah, this what the truck world champion has arrived from Trophy Smack, my friend. Championship.
0: Yes, this thing is beautiful. I mean, they do they do a great job. You remember we had Matt Walsh on here, and one of the reasons we loved matt walsh is that he comes from a logistics background he started his own startup giving away awards and trophies and things like this you can either buy them but they are an authority on giving away awards they know all about fantasy sports yeah. and it's a mark cuban backed company so this trophy he was on shark tank mark cuban backed him so this comes straight from that so i i would say by proxy mark cuban has declared us the logistics podcast champions mwah and I will take this with me. By I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear this. This a huge deal. I'm gonna wear this everywhere. I'm gonna you know wear this to F3, of course. You can. I'll, I'll set up a booth. You can come by and try it on. Take a take a selfie. Yeah, do it. And that's the episode where
1: uh, Mr. Wonderful actually uh, uh, not admitted, but came to the realization that if you want to be in business and you want to know what's going on in business. Logistics is something that you need to know.
0: Of course, yeah, right? it was a great that's quote. What he was talking was about, a perfect quote. Was talking about was a perfect quote. And by the way, yeah. if you can't, I don't know if I showed you guys the inside. This it's melt, it's metal on here. I mean, these are bolted on. You can't just like rip this plate off. And you could take, you could boom, you could knock someone out with this thing. Oh, yeah. No, it's heavy. I was shocked. All right. No, it's a big deal. No, it's a big deal. Wednesday, Enterprise Fleet's coming up. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time here. Go to live.freightwaves.com. Registration is free, as always, for these virtual events. Come along for the ride. Enterprise trucking fleets exist in an increasingly competitive landscape, but also have more opportunities than ever. As many fleets are adopting progressive technology strategies, we'll examine the components of a successful Enterprise fleet. Looking back, what were the most successful strategies to manage 2020 volatility? And are they still relevant? You've got a Black Swan event. Then we've had, like, a couple of Black Swan events this year, so maybe they are. They we'll be, keep coming. We've been through the 3PLs. We've been through the smaller fleets. We've been through a bunch of different sessions. Now it's going to be great to hear from the enterprise fleets, too, especially since they control a lot of the freight anyway. So the decisions they make are really a precursor of what's to come. The decisions yeah. they make define the industry.
1: No, yeah, they absolutely do. They're the enterprise the enterprises are the leaders. Yeah. You've got disruptors there as well. But you got legacy guys that could be disrupted. So tune in and find out how to avoid that disruption.
0: By the way, come see us in person at F three. And right now we'll save you two hundred bucks. We got a code for you. Go to live dot click on F three, buy a ticket for that, and I'll save you two hundred bucks. All you gotta do is type in WTT on that special code right here to save you some money. And I think two hundred bucks is just about enough money to buy yourself one of these belts. Is that right? You could buy yourself one, but can you earn one? Can you earn one? Can you take one from the great one? We'll see you at F3 with a tear in my eye. See you Wednesday. Peace and love.